Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Welcome back to Off the Shelf. I'm your host, Pete Sox, the Catholic book blogger. And today we have with us Adam Bly. He's a layman. He's a paratist, church-decreed expert in religious demonology and exorcism for the Diocese of Pittsburgh. He's also served as an expert in these areas in training priests, deacons, and laity in many other dioceses. He's an auxiliary member of the International Association of Exorcists, a Vatican-recognized private association of the Christian faithful based in Rome. Over 15 years of working and training in the exorcism ministry, he has witnessed or experienced a number of miracles, some of which he's been appointed to investigate by the church. He also works in the tribunal of the Pittsburgh Diocese and is pursuing a canon law degree. To get, today, he's here with us to speak about a new book from Sophia Institute Press, The World of Marian Apparitions, Mary's Appearances and Messages from Fatima to Today. Welcome back to the show, Adam. Thanks, Pete. So as we were discussing beforehand, I guess we should let people know you're not actually the author of this book, but you're kind of representing it a bit for Sophia. Am I correct? Yes, correct. The author doesn't speak English, and because it was related to my you know, recent book on miracles, they asked me to, to do this work. So now that we have that formality out of the way, let's, let's get into the book. It's actually a, it's a really beautiful book. Um, I've seen some advanced copies of it, but why are the apparition messages of Mary still relevant to us today? Well, um, I mean, I would say in the same way that, that the, the Catholic Christian faith is relevant to us today, um, it's a continuation of tradition, which is, which is part of the Catholic faith that interacts with us in a supernatural way. So, you know, we have the development of tradition within theology and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the teaching of some of the saints and, you know, additions to the church's understanding. But we also have these kind of supernatural moments of private revelation that continue that is always interesting. And the Marian ones are some of the most frequent uh, and famous of all those kind of supernatural events that some people experience. So. Uh, in addition to that general statement, I would say they're also relevant because they often involve 
statements about where the world's at right now. You know, scripture can speak to every generation um, because it, it it's a bottomless well of God's word that can speak to each of us, you know, in our own lives and our own generation. But mm-hmm. the, Mary, the Marian apparitions, like, directly speak to the history of what's going on right then, and they often talk about events that are shortly to come, um, always with a with a goal of repenting and prayer to avoid, you know, the worst of those outcomes. So it's not about prophesying doom and gloom, but it's Mary's kind of intervention in history to give us an encouragement to avoid the doom and gloom by, you know, doing, making the right choices. Mm -hmm. So for non-Catholic friends listening or ones that kind of question us about this, it, it comes up, why Mary? Why not Jesus coming to deliver these messages? Well, Jesus has delivered messages to a number of saints. It's just that the Marian messages tend to get a lot of attention from people, but there's been many saints that have experienced both Jesus and Mary. It's not that God is only sending Mary to give messages to the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Many figures from heaven have provided similar messages. It's just that the Marian ones... um, I, I think they have a particular resonance for people. Uh, Mary, in a sense, is a really good bridge to heaven for us as human beings. You know, Jesus was fully God and fully man. We can relate to him, but in his full divinity, it's hard for us to grasp that. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mary was fully human. Now, she was conceived without sin, but she was fully human, and so she's a little bit easier for us to, to relate to and feel comfortable with. And she's also a mother and, and a motherly figure kind of gives us a warm protective feel about her. And so I think God may use her because she's very relatable. And she's also gives us that motherly sense, which makes us perhaps listen and relax a little bit about what we're hearing. Mm hmm. Can you walk us through the discernment process of the church when it comes to investigating alleged apparitions? Well, whenever there's an alleged apparition, uh, the local bishop is actually, by canon law, the one who has to make a a decision uh, on whether it's valid or not. Now, that doesn't mean the local bishop's required to investigate every claim that is made within his diocese. but it's, it's their responsibility in the situations that they choose to investigate to make that claim. And then sometimes Rome, you know, the Pope uh, will imply approval or disapproval separately from the bishop. And in very rare cases, there's been approval from Rome when the local bishop felt negatively, um, which has happened, for instance, in Medjugorje, uh, for, you know, a number of bishops have, have felt negatively about it. So when the local bishop looks into it, and excuse me, I'm just getting over a cold, so Mm -hmm. I don't mean to keep clearing my throat. When the local bishop looks into it, uh, you know, they first look at the person making the claim. They primarily look at the message being received to make sure it's in line with church teaching, uh, you know, with scripture, with, with basically kind of what we would expect mm-hmm. um, versus something shocking and new. So if it's a new teaching that is a heresy, obviously that would be a, a huge red flag and, and that wouldn't make sense. 
uh, if it's leading to division and chaos and negativity, that wouldn't make sense in general. Um, and so there's the, you know, the first question, who is this person? Uh, are they reasonable? Do they have a history of being deceptive in the past? Have they been problematic? And also within that, are they submitting these supposed visions and messages that they're claiming to have? Are they submitting them to the church for discernment by the church, by the proper authority? Or, or are they out there promoting themselves and acting on their own? Those would be some of the things you'd, you'd wonder about an individual. Then they look at what are they saying is being told to them. Does that make sense? And then kind of a third level to it is if they're claiming some miracle, like, for instance, a statue's crying, um, if they're claiming that, those concrete claims are then investigated to make sure that they're not being faked. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of material in this book, some of which was new to me and will likely be to others reading it as well. Um, the book contains both Vatican-approved apparitions and, as you had mentioned, ones that have just been approved at the local level by the local bishop. Uh, in both cases, the faithful are allowed to, f- uh, for lack of a better word, follow the apparition. Now, at the local approval level, can that change and be rescinded as time goes on? Yes. Uh, the local bishop, if new information came to light, um, yeah, they could change their, their position on that for sure. Um, so, for instance, the current, you know, the current ruling, so to speak, on the study of Medjugorje, my understanding is, and I, I haven't checked in the last couple of weeks, so maybe there's new developments, but they're basically leaning towards the first few weeks they're judging to be valid, but then after that, they don't think so. Mm. And so that's a decision that's still in process. And, and part of why it's still in process is these things are not given a final judgment until they've completely concluded as right. a rule. And so since Medjugorje is claiming to be ongoing on basically a day, more or less a daily basis, um, <clears throat> they can't render a final judgment on it because let's say they rendered a judgment and said it's positive. And then the next week there's a big heretical message that's being promulgated. That would be really awkward and, and kind of hard to reel things back in. Mm-hmm. And if they said it, said it was negative, you know, they don't want to do that uh, casually either because if there's something positive, there. But you know, Pete, you mentioned there, and it's a critical point, private revelation. We're not required to believe it or even pay attention to it. Right. Um, and we also probably want to be careful that if we personally are reading too much into it, where it's taking us off track of the main kind of uh, purpose of the Christian life within the church, if it's taking us off track and, and getting us too focused on private revelation, that's probably a bad thing that we should look out for. So, <clears throat> you know, with all of these, they're kind of things on the side, outside of the main teaching and the main revealed word of God in Scripture, um, and the revelations that have, you know, been dogmatically approved uh, in tradition since. Um, but it's important that people not get too kind of. You can, you can get a little bit out there, mm-hmm. in the sense that in the sense that some of them have an apocalyptic tinge to them or even explicit character to them and for some people that that you know without a proper context um they can kind of go off 
deep end a little bit and get really scared and, and really upset. Right. And so you want to be you want to be careful about going too far down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about apparitions, there are a few key ones we must mention in that conversation. One of those is being Fatima. Everybody's very familiar with that. Many may believe the timing was centralized to the World Wars, but that message is far deeper and greater than that singular period of time, isn't it? Well, yes, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just then. So so in a sense, Sister Lucia can continue to, to experience Mary, probably mostly in a private way. But Fatima was pointing towards the errors of communism uh, spreading from Russia around the world, unless the world, you know, were basically to amend itself uh, and live more properly and pray more um, properly in the, in the Christian sense. And so it was more about not just World War II, but that general spread of errors. And, you know, we, we see that play out a little bit later uh, in Poland, um, some years after that, where it wasn't just World War II dealing with the Nazis, but, um, yeah, the push of Russia uh, into Western Europe. And then, you know, she also, in the, in the third secret, uh, that the, the the Vatican released some years ago now, you know, pointed to uh, the assassination attempt on John Paul II. So, you know, there was a number of touchstones within there. So it wasn't mm-hmm. just for that early 20th century, but also for our time. Mm-hmm. Now, these messages are often associated with a physical location, like a, a landmark area like Fatima or Medjugorje, as you discussed earlier. But there are also others that are specific messages received by particular people, such as one of my personal favorite go-to saints, Padre Pio. Padre was very in tune to Mary. Uh, can you tell us a bit about some of the messages Padre Pio received and why we should heed them today? Well, yeah, Padre Pio is he's just a wealth of, of mystical experiences. He was experiencing Mary apparently since he was a little child. Um, she was just a regular part of his life. He kind of assumed, like I think a lot of these mystics do, that everybody sees these figures, you know, kind of like an innocent child just assumes everybody else sees the world the same way they do, um, and then only finds out later in life that they don't. And so he was experiencing her as a protective motherly figure, um, basically throughout his life. You know, the the one person asked him at one point, uh, do you even see her in your cell, you know, when you retire at the end of the day? And, you know, he joked back, you should ask me if I've ever not seen her in my cell. Um, Basically, she was with him all the time. She Mm -hmm. was with him at mass, um, walking with him as he approached the altar to say mass, probably was with him in the confessional, which makes makes you wonder if some of those gifts um, of reading souls and and, uh, knowing so much about people in the confessional, maybe she was helping him there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she played a, a big role in his life, and he devoted a lot of his energy to promoting an understanding of Mary and a devotion to her, and, and particularly to the rosary. So I would say with him, the biggest thing, I think from his own lips, um, is that we promote the rosary and, and we seek to understand, you know, why why the Catholics love Mary so much and, and turn to her so much. 
So in the book, and I mentioned it earlier, there's there's a lot in here, and there's uh, what I would characterize maybe obscure, lesser-known uh, bishop-approved apparitions. Um, are there any in the book that you find interesting that you can tell us about? Well, there, there's a lot in there. Um, you know, there's there's probably over 500 claimed apparitions since biblical times, much more limited number that are that are approved, but there's many that people don't know about, and and a lot of modern ones, a lot of ones basically in the, the middle 20th century. But <clears throat> I would say one that was a little bit more historical would go back to 1920. Um, there was a battle in Poland, and it was in Warsaw, and the whole country of Poland basically unified in prayer at the request of the bishops and the priests uh, leading up to the Bolsheviks, the Russians were going to roll through Warsaw. And the world at the time, the whole the whole world saw that as kind of the, the cork that was holding the Russians back was Poland. And if they took Poland and rolled over it into Western Europe, basically people didn't think they were going to be stopped, um, that they would end up dominating a lot of the world. And at this battle... Uh, which, by the way, there's a painting of it um, that one of the popes had painted at the, the kind of summer palace uh, for the popes. Uh, it's called the Miracle on the, the Vistula. They were outnumbered 10 to 1, apparently, which is pretty dramatic mm-hmm. when it comes to war. And uh, so not only did the Polish army win, but many of the Bolsheviks afterwards, you know, that were either wounded or, or interviewed afterwards in various contexts, said that they had seen Mary. Um, they couldn't shoot in her direction, and they felt just basically terror. Not in terror and like, oh, she's mean and scary, but terror in the sense of like, Mary's opposing us. And they fled. And the punishment for fleeing the battle uh, was death mm-hmm. in that army. So it was a big deal. And they were fleeing in vast numbers, uh, fled their vehicles, their horses, dropped their guns. Um, and so this, you know, 10 to 1 battle was decisively won by the Poles, which is pretty amazing. But what's kind of even neater is that back in 1872, so what, 20 more than 40 years previously, uh, it was recorded that Mary had told a Polish mystic that that very battle would happen in the future uh, and that she would help them and the battle would be would be won against great odds. And so you, you see something like that where it's not only like, okay, maybe you could try to dismiss that and say, you know, something happened tactically and they, it's amazing they won this battle. Mm-hmm. But there was other Marian apparitions that historically predicted it decades ahead of time before those political forces were even remotely known. Uh, and yeah, and yet it played out mm-hmm. exactly as she predicted it. So that's kind of an example. You know, we all hear about Fatima and Medjugorje um, and Lords, but there's so many others. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they often touch on history and, and predict history. Yeah, that's why I think this book's so valuable. And, and it's actually, a, it's it's the first of its type that I've seen um, that goes into such 
depth with how many apparitions it talks about. Yeah, and the thing that I'm, I really find it uh, useful for myself, what I get excited about with this is he does a good job at fleshing out the lives of the visionaries, giving you more of a context, giving you more of the details where it's not just the same story you've heard before, but fleshing out what led up to it, what their lives were like afterwards. Um, like in the case that we just talked about, you know, was this very visionary and, and her intervention predicted decades before? Mm-hmm. Um, and those kind of details to me are just gold yeah. because that gives, that gives me a sense of, of the visionary as a human being gives me kind of an emotional, spiritual context for it, where it's not just a stark, oh, here was this message and isn't that interesting, but, you know, here's this person, here's how they were prepared by heaven to meet her, you know, and, and there's, it just gives you clues about how God operates in a really neat way. Mm-hmm. So these messages aren't just old notebooks from years ago that need dusted off. Uh, and, you know, as an example, the book closes with one as recent as 2014. Um, mm-hmm. Those those messages were received by visionary Gisela, and there are some pandemic uh, relative messages received in 2019. So my question is this, and we kind of did touch on this, but on one as recent as that, what discernment must we practice to safeguard ourselves? Because if there's ever a time where we could get um, sucked in by an alleged apparition, uh, that pandemic time would have been it. Right. And I think the, a big danger with all of this stuff, and, and I, yeah, I'm aware that's in there. It was September 2019. She has in her diaries that Mary told her this disease would be coming out of China. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the big danger is to weave that in with kind of the soundbite Facebook posting you know, tweet kind of discourse that most people are now used to, where there's very little context, there's there's no citing of primary sources, you don't know where the information is coming from, you don't know how much the person's just distorted it to their own, you know, what they thought was important there. And what it does, I think, a lot of cases is it just creates fear. And so if you were to interweave it with the kind of like internet philosophy debate if you can even call it that Mm -hmm. um i think it it could just be used to create fear and drama without proper context and discernment in the like not discernment in the charismatic emotional sense but discernment in the sense of like sober reflection versus just saying oh my gosh you know it was predicted here and you know, that could lead to a lot of fear because that same person predicted other apocalyptic stuff. Um, and that could lead to, you know, kind of overreacting um, and ceasing to really live your life the way you need to be living it. And then if things happen, they happen. But if you're living right, you don't need to be anxious about that. Um, versus if you just take prophecy out of context, I think it can cause a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. And as we wind down, I want to piggyback off that last question a bit. Sometimes, uh, as we've pointed out, there's a problem with an alleged apparition where it becomes less about the message and more about the person uh, allegedly receiving it, and it comes to the point where the local bishop will pull the plug on it. 
Um, as an example, I'll use the debunked Our Lady of Emmitsburg in Maryland near me that we had about a decade ago. So the, my question is, if we have friends or family who become highly enamored by an apparition that has not been proven true, uh, what what do we do? What's our recourse to try and steer them back on track? Well, I suppose that depends on the personality of the person you're dealing with. But, um, yeah, the I guess the the big warning sign to look for is, like you said, if if the person's promoting themselves, if they're trying to gather a group of believers around their new information, and especially if they're saying things that are um, kind of shocking and very different and saying, like, I've got the revealed truth and nobody else does. Anything along those lines is is a huge red flag. And then in general, the self-promotion is a huge red flag. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, generally, people that have had mystical experiences, um, most of the people with the Marian apparitions have had them in the sense of uh, God is just delivering this unto their life. They didn't necessarily do anything to seek out God in these supernatural ways. It just happened to them. Like you think of the children at Fatima, Yes, Lucia was devout, well catechized, um, but she wasn't seeking, you know, these supernatural experiences. She wasn't an advanced Carmelite who had been practicing asceticism for 30 years, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you when these people experience this, they generally don't want to be well known. They don't want attention on themselves. If they've had a glimpse of God or a figure from heaven like Mary they generally realize uh, that compared to that, you know, we're all nothing and we're not worthy and they wouldn't be promoting themselves about it. And so that should be a big red flag. You know, it's, that's more of the beginning of a typical regular cult, like human cult um, process of the charismatic leader who draws people around them. Um, But all that is kind of the general thoughts. And, And then for the Catholic Um, It is to, if there's been a statement from the bishop, seek that out, show it to the person. Um, If you see something in the messages that's really kind of either a direct heresy or really in contradiction with something, you know, the church is authoritatively taught, then help them. Show them through your research what that is, as opposed to just vaguely saying, well, that sounds nutty. That's probably not real. Mm-hmm. Give them some concrete um, citations, either from scripture or the catechism, to show that this isn't in line with the church. And that's one of the big, you know, questions that a bishop is going to ask when they scrutinize the case. So that would be, you know, without knowing the personality of the person you're you're dealing with, which we can't predict that. Um, and then the other, you know, I guess the final thing would would go back on what we were saying before, and that is try to encourage them to study more deeply than just internet posts, if that's all they're going off of. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Adam, um, it's always great to have you on the show and chat with you again. Um, I always enjoy it, even though this wasn't your book. Uh, Where can people find the World of Marian Apparitions, Mary's Appearances and Messages from Fatima to Today? Uh, it should should already be on Sophia Institute Press's website. 
And if it's not already on the other typical places like Amazon, uh, it'll be there shortly, but I believe it's already available. Um, but yes, yeah, Sophia is the quickest way to get it. All right, Adam, again, thanks so much for taking time out of your day. Any closing thoughts? Well, just that, Pete, I, I do genuinely think this is a useful book. Um, and as we both agree, it covers a breadth and depth. This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you.